Well, welcome to the orchard. Good morning. Whether you're joining us here in the house, live online, or any time throughout the week on podcast, I'm so glad that you are tuning in. As we were play, praying this morning, we really had a, a sense, especially in the first series as God moved, that, that there are many of you who God has brought you here for this Sunday to hear this message. And just a reminder, our band is great, but they're never good enough to change your, your, your life. And in preaching, I can't preach good enough to change your, your heart and your, and your life. That is only God's work. And so you have been prayed for today. Wherever you are, whatever story you come in here with, you've been prayed for that God would speak to you that you would leave this place or leave this this service different. That's our prayer. We're going to be going through the parables of Jesus this summer, uh, taking a break from our Exodus series before stepping back into Exodus in the fall. And here's here's what happens with with the parables. Uh, They're so common to people who've been in the church. For some of you, you may have never heard this before, and this is going to be exciting for you, but for some of you, you've heard a parable, so as soon as it starts, you're like, oh, oh yeah, this one. Today, we're going to talk about the lost coin and the lost sheep, and I want to challenge you to not let the familiarity lead today, but let your curiosity, because God has something for each of you here today. Whether you are first time or whether you are a seasoned church veteran, God has something for you. In this parable today, there is a lot of drama going on behind the scenes. A lot of tension that this parable Jesus teaches goes out into. And let's jump right into Luke 15, verse 1, and see what's happening. It starts with this. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. Now, this sentence can kind of seem bland, but there is so much here packed into this. Tax collectors and notorious sinners are showing up often to hear Jesus and what he's going to say now, this is, that means it's not just the religious people, not just the church people who want to hear Jesus. It's those people, the those and thems that church people like to whisper about, the tax collectors and notorious sinners. A tax collector, especially, was somebody who was singled out because they were despised in this culture. A tax collector would be one of your people, a local, who's working for the Roman government to take your money and give it to Caesar. And guess what happens if you get behind on your taxes? That person who you may have known your whole life, who is one of your community, will turn you into the Romans and you can lose your home, your family, everything. These tax collectors were despised. They, be, they decided to work for your worst enemy. So it says there's tax collectors who are detested and then these notorious sinners. Now notorious, you get a notorious sinner, a known sinner. You only get this title by being pretty good at it. I mean, these are the harlots and cheaters, abusers, and people who choose not to follow the the tidy religious laws that the priests have set up. What we see here is that Jesus' teaching and lifestyle is, is, is he loves those whom religion says are unlovable and unreachable. They often show up to where he's teaching. His teachings were attractive to those who didn't follow the religious rules, and they were considered actually religiously, spiritually unclean. But then there's another group of people here listening. We have the tax collectors and notorious sinners. But also we have in verse 2, this made the Pharisees and teachers of the religious law complain that Jesus was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. Now, in our culture, this doesn't seem like much. But let's look at this. Pharisees. These are the experts in the religious law. They have the entire Old Testament memorized. They know all the rules, all the laws. They keep it. They're wealthy. They have influence. They're respected. 
These are the religious elite, and they would never associate themselves with a sinner, let alone have dinner with them. The translation says here, another translation says, the Pharisees complained because Jesus welcomed sinners. He didn't just allow them into his teachings. He was like, come on in. Come on in, guys. Come on in. Get closer. You see, in this culture, your honor and the honor of your family was often tied to whom you associated with, whom you entertained in your home, who you ate with and and hung around with. So Jesus spending time and even eating with sinful people, known sinners and tax collectors, this was a huge religious and social break of the norm. Nowadays, we eat with whoever we want, except for on holidays where you have to eat with your family. But, but other than that, we, we, don't, we don't think twice really about who we're eating with, but make no mistake, Jesus hanging out and dining with these known sinners and tax collectors, uh, the, religiously, uh, the religious community would have been taking notice of this. This is a severe statement, and here's why. Because shame in this culture is contagious. If you had dinner with someone who was shameful in that community, you would leave that meal with that shame on you. Shame was contagious. Jesus speaks about this in Mark when he says that he has gotten a reputation of being a drunkard and a glutton because of the friendships that he has. That that shame had been put upon him. So now we're setting the stage for this parable. We have Jesus stepping in and about to teach. Tax collectors and notorious sinners who've shown up to to maybe hear a message of hope, a message that that doesn't condemn them. And then we have in the crowd the religious elite, these Pharisees. And they detested the religiously unclean. They judged Jesus for it. And here on this hot Middle Eastern afternoon, in in, in that dry dust, all those different people on the, uh, in the mix, all listening, Jesus begins to roll out a parable to all of them, and it speaks to each of them. Verse three, Jesus told them this parable. If a man had a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go search for the one until the lost, uh, lost until he finds it? First of all, what amazes me is how Jesus has this, such divine wisdom that he packs into such simple stories with explosive truth. This parable is about sheep. In, some, in, in these days, if someone had a hundred sheep, that would mean that that was a wealthy person. So we have this wealthy shepherd. He's likely a landowner. He has a large flock. And, and what do sheep do? They flock together, but sheep also are prone by nature to wander, to graze themselves away from the flock. But, but, but let's be honest, only one's missing, right? One of 100 isn't there. It's not a, not a this is the, probably a common occurrence and not a huge deal. Well, the answer to that question actually depends on the nature of the shepherd, if it's a big deal or not. And Jesus in this parable is going to be comparing the shepherd with his father, with himself, and with his kingdom. These parables are a glimpse into the character and the nature of the divine. So 99 sheep accounted for and one sheep missing. How does the shepherd respond? Well, in John 10, Jesus tells everybody that he says, I am the good shepherd. And it's out of his goodness that he responds to the wandering. Let's read this. John 10, 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for his sheep. A hired hand will abandon the sheep because they don't belong to him, and he isn't the shepherd. So Jesus says, I I would lay down my life for my sheep. The hired hand won't do that. The hired hand would think that 99 is, well, that's good enough. 
The hired hand counts, gets up and sees there's just one missing and shrugs and says, I got 99 problems, but a sheep ain't one, and just moves on. But not, not the good shepherd. He goes out. He goes out to find the sheep that wandered. Now, it's, it's hot. It's rough terrain. They're in the wilderness, it says. He's not even certain to find the sheep, but the nature of the shepherd is not okay with one missing. Now, he, he knows his flock by name, it says. He knows each of them. He knows who's missing. His good nature and love for his sheep has him pack his bag, pack some water, a staff, and set out because the wandering sheep will die unless he finds it. In this short video I'm about to play, this is a, some of you have seen this, but this is a short little microcosm of how our spiritual life is. That Jesus will come out and find us when we're wandering. He will find us in a ditch of our sin or indifference, pull us out, and we'll see what happens. There it is. Thank you, Jesus, for rescuing me. I'll see you. As funny as that is, we have, to, we have to pause here. We have to pause. The sheep has wandered off and gotten lost by its own accord. So I want to ask the question. How often have we wandered from God's way? In our, with our whole life or a part of our life, in those seasons of selfishness or indulgence, seasons of absolute indifference, we, like sheep, have wandered. And what is it that comes to your mind during those wandering seasons when you think about God? You may be in a wandering season somewhere in your life right now. And so even coming into church, you were greeted by those shameful thoughts of if only these people knew what you were doing, and oh, God's not happy with you. What comes to mind when you think of, what does God think of me now? Is he angry? When you're in those wandering seasons, is he, is he disgusted? You see, often, oftentimes when we think of God and how he's thinking of us and our wandering, we think that he's wearing a frown, arms crossed. This is a parable about the, about the nature of God. He's revealing something about his own self. So let's continue in this. Let's read this in verse four again. If a man has 100 sheep and one of them goes, gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go and search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And what does he do when he finds it? Verse five, when he is found that he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. It's interesting to me. When he finds the sheep that has wandered from him, does he get there and scold it? You're in the ditch again. You're lost again. Does he look down his nose and go, you sheep, always choosing the wrong thing, always disappointing me. Does he give the sheep some penance, like, you know, to you know, pay or some shame? Does he, does, he, does, he, does he expect the wanderer to make it up to him with like some extra tithing, some extra money or extra good attendance for a while or extra serving? Does he expect those things? What does it say? No, none of those. What does he do? He joyfully puts the sheep on his shoulders. This is the heart and nature of our God. When he finds those that are far from him, he doesn't respond with guilt and shame. He joyfully, he finds you. He smiles toward you. You have to imagine when he finds his lost wanderer, there's a smile 
There's his countenance is, is warm. He speaks soothing words to you and then he lifts you up and puts you on his shoulders. He doesn't use a switch or a stick to herd you back to the flock. You've wandered. You've, I got you. I will carry you back. This is the heart of our father. When um, many years ago, my son Elijah was younger and we were on a family vacation and we were in a different town and the town had a large community uh, area, blocks long, and they had all kinds of markets and people bustling with business and music, Think, people everywhere. And I did something that wrecked me. I lost my son. Now, you know how it goes when you kids are there one minute and the next minute you turn back and there's no kid. Amy was not there, thankfully. She didn't get to see me in all my glory of this moment. Um, my brother was, and so pretty, you know, how does it start, parents? It starts with Elijah. You know, you're calm. Everything's okay. You couldn't have gone too far. Elijah. And you just feel that start to rise up, taking bigger laps. Elijah. <laughs> Elijah. And then by the time I have circled the entire community area, and I, I, I can't find him anywhere in there. Now the panic is beginning to set in as I'm thinking like someone must have, I'm, I'm picturing him being led by a hand down the alley away from the community center. Like, where is he? I can't find him anywhere. By this time, I'm that dad yelling my son's name. Where is my lost son? And then I turn a corner and there oblivious to the world is my little son fighting a tree with a stick. <laughs> oblivious to the fact that he has wandered Oblivious to the, to the danger, oblivious to the lost, oblivious that his father is coming undone, I ran over to find to get him, and, and my relief washed over me and melted into joy, and the intensity of my emotion when I grabbed him startled him, scared him, and he had no idea. Now, was I angry at him for wandering off? He's a, he was a young kid. Listen, children wander off. Sheep wander off. Humans drift. Kids do what kids do. Sheep do what sheep do. Humans do what humans do, but God does what God does. And he finds you, he loves you, and he calls you. His face is full of joy for you, his son, his daughter. If you are far from God today, there is no anger in his face toward you. If you're far from God in some area of your life today, there's only open arms and joy as he calls you back to acceptance. So the question is, are you far from God today? Is there an area of your life where you are far from God? Because I want to let you know today is the day that he is calling you to come back home and into his heart. But Jesus doesn't stop the parable there. The good shepherd is so excited that he has found his sheep that he wants to throw a party. It says in verse six, when he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors and he says, rejoice with me. I found my lost sheep. You know, when somebody is lost and they're wandering and they come back to the heart of God, it's not some grim religious thing with shame and guilt, like, you know, going through the streets, shame, shame. No, none of that. Jesus says, actually, it's an occasion for a party. The nature of God declares, yes, everyone get together. And my sheep has been found. And then it speaks. And then Jesus right here, he stops the parable and he turns to speak to the tax collectors, to the sinners, and to the priests and the religious elite. He says, in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Repentance is turning from wandering back to God. 
Repentance is a change of heart and mind that brings you closer to God. How much does God value repentance? How much does God celebrate when one who is far comes close to him? How does heaven respond when wanderers and lost and sinners and tax collectors and divorced and abused and ashamed and addicted and anxious and the angry and those who've been burned by church and those who think they're unworthy, how does God in heaven respond when they return? Well, there's a party in heaven. So again, are you far from God today? Is there a place where you have wandered from the heart of God? There's no penance to pay to return. There's no shame or guilt. The Bible says there's no condemnation in Christ. There is a call to him. Are you someone who's never known God before today? Perhaps you've never made that decision to follow Jesus in faith. You have your reasons. You are unresolved. But perhaps you have never said yes to Jesus in salvation. I want you to know there's no hoops to jump through. There's no going on like a cleaning up your life and then being worthy of it. There's no getting religious before you come to him. God calls you because Jesus did all the work already. All these Pharisees and these, these religious elites, remember they were hearing all this and they were complaining that Jesus is eating with sinners. And, and what does Jesus tell them with this parable? Guys, it's worse than you think. I don't just eat with them. I go and look for them. Now I search for them. And my Father in heaven, when we, when we find them, we throw a party for them. It's much worse than you think. Now, in this parable, I want to ask you, what did the sheep do? It was a sheep. It did what sheep do. It wandered off. It got lost. It helplessly and defenselessly ran in the countryside. Perhaps it was injured, was, was unable to save itself, was unable to find its way back. And, and when found, when it was placed on the shoulders of the, the shepherd, what did the sheep do to get all this? Nothing. In this parable, we see more about the nature of God than the nature of ourselves. And that's important for many of us who've wandered to see the nature of God. Because there are places where you are unable to save yourself in sin and vice and fears that oppress us. But we have a God who is moving consistently in your life and calling you consistently to him. And while we are lost in our sin and and unable to be forgiven or redeemed on our own, he, based on his goodness and his nature, has done the forgiving and redeeming based on the work of Jesus. He's done it all. You don't earn your salvation any more than a sheep earns a rescue party. Salvation and rescue and saving are based on the nature of the shepherd. Now, Jesus has this captive audience, you know, and he could have stopped there, these holy men and these really good sinners, but he decided to double down. He continues in verse eight. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Now, either if she has 10 coins, she could be poor, in, the, in this context, or as one commentator who's an expert in this context, he notes that married women in the first century in this, in this culture would often wear 10 coins on a chain just as women wear wedding rings today. So it's a symbol of her marriage. And the loss of the coin wouldn't only be financial disaster. In fact, women in this time, if they had a debt, no one was allowed to take their 10 coins from them because it was a symbol of their covenant marriage not to be used for debt payment. So it's not just financial disaster by losing one. There is a cultural embarrassment that she failed to protect the the symbol of her marriage. So she's lost something of great value. Suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? She lights a lamp. 
No, not, not a big lamp with LED lights. She lights a lamp and she has to get under the places. She has, it says she gets a broom. She, she puts it under the bed to hear a jingle. She, she is sweeping out the entire house, the, the dark nooks and crannies, the unclean places. We can't let this, this image pass us by. The Pharisees are hearing this and they're seeing what Jesus is saying about the nature of God, what he's saying about himself. You see, Jesus, Jesus doesn't just eat with sinners. When it comes to one who is lost, he lights a lamp. He gets on his hands and knees. He, he looks through the whole house. He, he cleans, he, he clean, cleans different areas. He, he doesn't just stick to the, the nice, bright, clean parts. He goes to the parts that are dirty, that are unclean. He searches high and low until he finds what he has lost. Jesus is declaring who he is and what he is like. And so Jesus in this is asking, what about you, religious ones? And I had to consider this myself this week. What about you, religious ones? Are you searching? Are you searching for the lost of my kingdom? Are you serving for those whom I love and who have wandered? Because I'll go out in the wilderness. I'll get on my hands and knees looking where it's unclean. What about you who claim to know God? Are you looking in the bars and back alleys and the places that are unclean? Or are you simply waiting in sanitary and well-lit churches, waiting for the unclean to get clean enough to come in? That got me. It says that the woman who lost the coin doesn't just stop until she finds, she doesn't stop until she finds it, much like the shepherd. And what happens? In verse nine, when she finds it, she calls all her friends and neighbors and says, rejoice, I have found my lost coin. She's found something so valuable. She did everything she could to find it. She gets everybody and Jesus finishes with this. In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. This is so awesome. I love this sentence. We often, I've heard this sentence preached and read, the angels rejoice when the sinner repents, but that's not what it's saying. Catch what it's saying. There's rejoicing in the presence of the angels. Who's doing the rejoicing? Who's in the presence of the angels? You see, when someone who's far from God is found. It is God himself who celebrates. In the heavenly eternal realms, the voice of God booms in celebration and rattles the angelic. Yes, my daughter who is so far gone is home. Yes, my son has been found, rattling the heavens, shaking the angelic. In the presence of the angels, the celebration takes place. This is the heart of your father in heaven he isn't frowning or expecting you to pay penance. He's longing for you to come back to him, to turn to him, and there's a party in his heart waiting for that moment. So again, this parable. What shame is Jesus trying to project onto the ones who are lost? Because it seems that in this par these two parables, coins do what coins do, kids do what kids do, sheep do what sheep do, humans do what humans do, but God does what God does. And his love finds you, seeks you, and calls you back to himself. The overriding emotion of this is God's deep love for his people for all people, that he calls to himself and joy upon finding them. And Orchard, this is one reason that, that salvation and baptism is such a big celebration for us as the orchard. This is why it matters so much. This is why, why we want to celebrate anytime there's a baptism. And this year we're looking, we're trusting for more baptisms. 
And to make this personal, if you have resolved to follow Jesus sometime in your adult life and haven't been baptized after that, then, then, then Jesus is calling you to baptism. We have a huge event, a big all-church picnic at a local ranch. We'll give you more information coming up. A local ranch on the 23rd. Put it on your calendar. Do not miss it. We're going to all hang out there. We're going to do baptisms there in the lake and the river. And it's a time and opportunity for many of you who felt this call to say, I'm in. I'm in. And if you've been baptized as a child, someone asked me, like, I was baptized as a baby. Listen, if you, want, if you feel God calling you to baptism, even if you're saying, no, 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 then, then this is an opportunity for you. God invites you to take this step. And so uh, what I would ask you to do is to email Pastor Dan, dan at theorchardlife.com, as we are kind of getting together all of those who are wanting to be baptized. And then even on that day, after all those who want to be baptized, we, we, we dunk them, uh, we're going to have an open time for baptism to see what God's going to do. But here's, here's the assignment, Orchard. Here's the assignment for you. As a church, when anyone is getting baptized, whether here or somewhere else, or if you're in another church and you're the only person that does this, be this person. Anytime someone gives a testimony and goes under the water and comes back up, may our cheers echo the cheer in heaven. Like, may our celebration when it comes to salvation and baptism be a taste of the party that's happening in heaven in the presence of the angels. It's worth celebrating in heaven. I think it's worth us celebrating down here. Men and women, if you believe that God is angry with you. You have bought a lie. He loved you so much, he sent his son Jesus to die for you. He sent his son to face the guilt and the shame so there's nothing left in the bag for you to find. If you know Jesus as your savior and you're wandering and involved in things that maybe he would not want you to and you're lost or helpless to to fix yourself, the good shepherd doesn't condemn you There's no condemnation in Christ. He wants to tenderly place you on his shoulders and bring you back to peace and protection of his presence. If you're in here today and you do not yet know Jesus as Savior, you have not yet resolved to follow him, I want you to know that he seeks you, not with a switch and a scowl, but with open arms and a smile of love and forgiveness. So we have these these two parables. There's some very important messaging in them. To the sinners and the tax collectors and those far from God, there's hope because God is calling you and searching for you. This is shocking in that culture, in that society, the the tax collectors and notorious sinners, the religious people wouldn't have thought that they had worth or value. And Jesus declares there is worth and value for all who wander and all who are lost, despite what you've been through, despite what your past says about you, despite the evidence that you would say, this is what defines me. He wants to define you by his son and his sacrifice. To the, to the Pharisees, to the religious, to the church folk, they would have struggled with this parable mightily because the authority in this parable is a shepherd and a woman, both of which were far below them in society, both of which they wouldn't have um, been associated themselves with. So they would wonder, who does Jesus say we are? Are we the coin? Are we the woman? Are we the sheep? If, if they are the coin, they are as lost as the tax collectors, which in their religious pride, they are. If they are the woman, then God is revealing how he is acting in a manner that is the religious refuse to do. He's asked us to go out to seek what is lost in unclean places. And for us today, for each of us, we are wandering somewhere in our life. 
The truth is that we all stray. We all fall short of the glory of God in his call. We all wander. We all need rescuing. Now, you might do the Christianity comparison thing and go, well, I'm not as bad as whoever it would be. That's Pharisee talk. The truth is we all need Jesus. We all need rescue. Jesus shows here that there is no shame in being the sheep or the coin. The only caution in this is actually to be the, being the religious Pharisee, someone who is too arrogant or too blind to consider themselves lost or in need. What about our church? What does it mean for those of us who call the orchard home or who follow us and are engaged in these messages? Who do we most resemble? Who do we most resemble? The Pharisees who refuse to seek those who are far from God? That we won't be seen or talking to other certain people? Are we too good for those who are too bad? Or do we take our vision to heart to love God and love people enough to go search for them? That we take our cue from Jesus and, and try to resemble his nature of God, seeking any who are far from God, whatever their condition. Because we know that a person is precious to God. His son died for them, not based on their gender or color or orientation or affiliation, but because they are a precious soul to the king and he's searching for them. You see, the Pharisees had categories to judge the lost. Categories of sin of how to rank them. They thought it was their place to do that religiously. And Jesus simply said, go and find the lost instead. Bring them to God and let him do the work that is needed for their heart and soul and identity. Let him do that work. So are we searching for the lost? Are we going out and, and illuminating Jesus to people? Or are we content because our church is, we're doing good. We got 99 in here. I mean, we got 99. We're full enough. Listen, until every single soul in the surrounding area codes knows the glory of Jesus, may we never grow content with who he has brought here. We cannot be content with 99 out of 100. Why? Because the one matters. The one matters to us because the one matters to God. Because that one is someone's son, someone's daughter, someone's brother, sister. That one is someone's mom or dad. That son is someone's spouse. That son is someone who Jesus gave his life for on the cross. So may we join our father in his search for the one. May we join him in his eternal work to bring people and illuminate them to the reality of Jesus and his salvation. And I want to finish this today. And this is, today, right now, there's some of you in here and you are the one. You're the one who God has been calling. You're the one. You've had a spiritual journey that's taken you all over, but it's brought you here today to hear this. And you are that one. And Jesus is calling you in this moment to say, I'm ready. Jesus, I need you. I have tried it on my own. I have wandered, but I need rescue. I need you. I'm gonna do something today I have not done in absolute years because I want us to have an opportunity for God to move, but also a chance for celebration along with heaven. And it's, it's terrifying. And it's, I'm gonna release the moment, my, any control over it. But if you are the one and you know that it is your time to receive Jesus, to step forward, you have been wandering and you know that you need him. I'm gonna ask you to do something terrifying, I know. I'm gonna ask you to stand. I'm gonna ask you to stand up and say, I'm the one. I have been wandering. 
I've been lost, but I am ready. Is there anyone here? If you're online, go ahead and say it, put that in there. Anyone else before we pray? Would you all stand with me? Stand with your brothers and sisters. We're going to pray a prayer together, and I want you to know that there's going to be a roar in heaven when I say amen. In the presence of angels, there will be a roar. I want us to echo that because the lost, the wanderer has come home. Pray with me out loud and say, Father, I need you. Jesus, I know you died and rose again. I declare you the son of God. I give you my heart. I place my faith in you. Holy Spirit, fill me. Forgive me for my wandering. I come back to your open arms. In Jesus' name, amen. While you're standing, I want us to, in this, in this moment right here, we're gonna sing a song about the reckless love of God that has sought you out and found you and searches for you. And if you are a wanderer here today and you have places that you feel lost, um, Pastor Dan's gonna be over here. My wife and I'll be up front. We got some elders to be here in the prayer. We, we wanna pray with you. But for the rest of us, may this be a time where you worship and thank God for Jesus who was sent to bring us back. Let's worship.